what does it mean to be saved? People can be saved out of everything from burning buildings to bad relationships, even drawn-out conversations. There have been a time or two that I have texted my wife the words, Save me, while talking to someone in a crowd or in a gathering. And uh, it is my hope and prayer that she will then rescue me from that conversation. So you can use that word saved or salvation many different ways. But today, though, I want to discuss the most important salvation of all, the salvation of the human soul. When I ask someone if they're saved, what I'm asking is if they have a Bible reason to know that they will go to heaven when they die. Now, before you tune me out thinking that you've heard this all before, I want to remind you that there are many false prophets in the world, and truth be told, there are many teachings and beliefs about salvation that are just plain wrong. Uh, There is right and there is wrong, and, and the scripture teaches and tells us what is the correct way, what is the right way, what is the God ordained way in order to get to heaven when we die. I don't know about you, but when it comes to something as important as my eternal, never dying soul and where I will spend eternity, I would much rather know for myself what God said in his word than to trust mankind's opinions or hope for the best. I want a solid answer for myself because hell is real and it is hot. Why leave salvation to hopes and wishes when you can know the truth about God's how God says in his word that we must be saved. As with all messages we teach at Crossroads Baptist Church of Slippery Rock, the King James Bible will be our guide and our final authority because what God says concerning any matter is far more important than what any man has determined. God's word states in Isaiah 5, 8, and 9, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So I encourage you as we study this topic of salvation today, if you hear something new or something contrary to what you've been taught, go to God's word and verify for yourself that what I am saying is scriptural. Lord, help us today as we seek truth from your word. Let it be clear. Let it be effective. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to explain salvation today using one passage as a type of a starting line, and that passage is Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9. The Bible says, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So if we break that down, we have, first of all, by grace. The definition of grace is the free, unmerited love and favor of God. The spring and source of all the benefits men receive from him, layman's terms, grace is receiving some good thing undeserved, whereas mercy is having deserved punishment withheld. Grace is that receiving of something that we don't deserve, something good. Now, there is the question, why do we need grace? Well, 2 Timothy 4, 8 tells us that God is a righteous judge. God cannot and will not judge unrighteously, and just as a good earthly judge must judge and convict lawfully, God the righteous judge must judge and convict according to his law. If you've ever been the victim of a crime, whether a serious offense or even just someone stealing your toy as a child, you would not want to judge to look at the facts and determine that though the offender ought to be punished, though the crime was indeed committed against you, instead he will be set free, uh, having justice, uh, no justice served to him. We want judges to make their decisions based on what is just, what is good, what is right. God does just that, and this is why we need God's grace. Because God's word tells us in Romans 6.23 that the wages or the penalty of sin is death. And not only death, but an eternity 
of real torment and a real lake of fire as a result. Revelation 20 verse 15 tells us, And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. We have all willingly broken God's law in some way at some point in our lives. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Because of our disobedience to God's law, we have earned for ourselves the penalty of sin, which is eternal death. As sinners, we are unable to redeem ourselves. Like trying to wash an oily surface clean with a rag covered in oil, it cannot be done. Isaiah 64.6 tells us that all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags compared to God. The best we can do, the cleanest we can get, it doesn't come close to what is needed to stand before a holy and a righteous God. It is for this reason, the helpless condition of man, that we must be shown grace, or we would never be saved. The great news is that God is willing to provide grace in, to help in time of need. Some may say, I just think if I do enough good, it'll outweigh the bad and God will accept me. They imagine a giant scale in heaven that tips back and forth to determine who is good enough and who is not. The problem is, who determines what good enough is? Where would the standard be set? Let me illustrate this, this concept in a, in a picture of a husband and a wife. Uh, we enjoy a wonderful meal together, and, and the husband says, You know what, honey? That meal was great. I'm going to do the dishes for you tonight. He cleans the dishes, puts them away, and thinks he's done a good job. Well, if you're like me, you can fast forward a day or two, and the wife will grab a dish and ask, How did this dirty dish get in the cupboard? Men and women often have a different sense of what clean is. My wife, like most uh, people, she consider her plates and utensils, if they're not spotless, they're not clean. I'm the guy who will use the fork all week long if I know what's been on it. And so you see, we get this idea that I am better than that guy, so God must be pleased with me, but God still sees the grime and the gunk on our dishes. Good enough for heaven isn't a bar set by measuring ourselves against other men and their opinions. The bar is set at being as absolutely right, righteous and good as God is. We are helpless to reach that standard on our own. Psalm 49, 6-8 say that they that trust in their wealth and boast themselves in the multitude of their riches, none of them can by any means redeem his brother, nor give to God a ransom for him. For the redemption of their soul is precious, and it ceaseth forever. Money, wealth, the help of friends and family, prestige, heritage, none of that saves a soul. You may say, I was baptized, or I joined a church. And those are good things, but let me point you to another verse in God's word, Titus 3, verse 5. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. And even our starting passage, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 said, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. We need grace from God, that unmerited gift, because we cannot earn our salvation. Question arises, how much grace will God give? Often people convince themselves that God could never forgive them because of what they have done in life, but consider Romans 5.20. The Bible says, Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Consider also what Christ himself said on the cross in Luke 23.34. Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. 
If Christ was willing to forgive the men who physically placed him on the cross, beat him, and ridiculed him, how could you think that he won't forgive you too if you repent of your sins and ask him? The grace of God shown through the blood of his Son has covered all the sins of the world for all time, sins that are past, according to Romans 3.25, as well as sins that have not yet happened, according to Hebrews 10.12. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. If a person is saved, nothing in their future can take away the grace that God has given. Back to our starting passage, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, we, we begin by reading, For by grace are you saved through faith. So we see faith is essential for salvation. Faith, as the Bible describes it, is, or defines it, rather, is found in Hebrews 11, 1. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Why faith? Well, Hebrews eleven six 6 tells us that without faith it is impossible to please God. And Galatians 3, 22 tells us, that by uh, it is by faith in Jesus Christ that we receive the promise. Hebrews 11.6 also explains that it is impossible to please God without faith, because in order to come to God, you have to believe that he is. You have to believe in God. Now, I know that's a novel thought, but in order to trust something or someone to save you, you must believe that they exist and that they are sufficient for that task. Think of your last doctor visit. Unless you yourself are a doctor, you had to take his advice for your condition on faith that he could help you get better. Our soul's condition is a sin infection, and if you don't turn to Dr. God because you have no faith in him to heal you, you will die in those sins, and you will end up in hell. Now, I want to note here that knowledge is not faith. Knowing isn't believing. James 2.19 says, Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. Just knowing that there is a God is not enough. In Acts 26, 28, the ruler st states to the Apostle Paul, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. This man heard the gospel from Paul himself, lived and ruled in Christ's day, and yet died and went to hell having first-hand knowledge of Jesus Christ if he never let that knowledge drive him to belief. Now, the final part of Ephesians 2, 8, 9 that I want to look at uh, today is that fact that it is a gift of God. Salvation is a gift of God. All gifts come with a cost. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19 say, For as much as ye know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things, such as silver and gold, from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Most people know John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The price God paid for our sin was as high as could be. Since sin cannot redeem sin, God needed a perfect sacrifice to accomplish an everlasting atonement. He needed a sacrifice of himself, his perfect blood, from his sinless Son. Now the question also is, who has he offered this gift to? Who is able to be saved? Well, Second Peter 3 verse 9 tells us, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us word, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And can I tell you, all means all. Sadly today, many people hold to a false doctrine called Calvinism or Reformed theology. This, the roots of this false teaching come from fatalism, not from the Bible. Many denominations of so-called Christian churches have fully embraced the idea that God chose certain people to be saved and certain people to be lost, 
and that there is nothing we can do about it. Yet what did God say in his word? All men. He desires all men to come to repentance. John 3.16 God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him, over and over and over again, the Bible reinforces the fact that God sent his Son to be the Savior for all men. It is our choice whether or not to believe. Now, how long is this good for? Malachi 3.6 teaches us that God does not change. To say that God would take back the gift he has freely given uh, is to say that God is capable of changing his mind based on our actions, as if somehow God didn't realize how bad we were when he chose to save our souls. Yet Romans 5.8 tells us, But God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He knew us, and yet he loved us. What a God. What a Savior. So today we've seen from God's word that salvation is by God's grace through our faith in him and that it is a gift of God to mankind. So we must consider then the question, how can I attain this salvation? How can I be a recipient of this free gift? We saw already that good intentions, works, baptisms, memberships to church, none of that will work. So what do I need to do to be saved? This question has been asked before in Acts 16, after Paul and Silas prayed and sang in prison, having been arrested for preaching Christ, the prison door swung open, the, the prison shook with a great earthquake, and the guard was ready to kill himself when he saw it, thinking that all had fled. When the Apostle Paul revealed that they were all there, this man fell at his feet and asked the question, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Their reply, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. That's it. Believe. Salvation does not come from turning over a new leaf. Though if you are truly saved, the Bible says we will be born again, we'll be a new creature, old things will be passed away, all things will become new. There will be some evidence of that in our, in our life. But it doesn't come by, by turning over a new leaf or, or by reciting a specific prayer. Salvation happens when a sinner realizes their need for a Savior, repents or turns away from their sin, in their hearts to God, and believes in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Christ himself said in John six thirty seven, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. If you are not 100% sure that you have truly been saved, you can be right now. You simply pray to God, acknowledge your need for salvation, repent of your sin in your heart, and ask him to save you, and he will do it.